Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. Welcome to Concord Matters. I am this week's host, Pastor Joshua Shear, Senior Pastor at Our Savior Lutheran Church here in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And I'm coming to you from Cheyenne, which is actually overcast today, which is unusual. Usually it's clear skies and quite sunny, but uh, a little overcast today. And we are coming to you from here, and we're going to cover the Book of Concord. We are still in the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, that is the defense of the Lutheran faith, especially over and against Roman Catholic uh, criticisms of that faith. And then uh, we'll we'll continue on in this Article 4 stuff on justification. For our Book of Concord, we typically use Concordia, the reader's edition of the Book of Concord, available available from Concordia Publishing House. Uh, Also, we are a call-in show, so if you are in the St. Louis area, you can dial in at 314-821-0850. Or nationally, you can dial 800-730-2727, and we'll hope to uh, get your question on air and also uh, hopefully answer it. So, we normally have two guests with the host. However, today, one of our scheduled guests is uh, actually doing his job as a pastor and taking care of a a member of his dear church who uh, our Lord is calling home. Uh, So, uh, we commend that. Uh, Good work of good faithful pastors as they take care of the souls under their charge. Uh, my other guest, however, is with me today, and thank God for it, because otherwise you'd have to listen to me talk all hour. And that is uh, Pastor Dan Hinton, who is pastor at a Trinity Lutheran Church and School. He's a headmaster at their school as well. Uh, so welcome, Dan. Thank you. Good to be here. All right. So, as I discussed, we are discussing uh, Augsburg Confession, Article 4, in the Apology. So this is, of course, justification by faith, that that man is saved by believing in Christ, and so his faith in Christ is, is reckoned to him as righteousness and so forth. That's how God can hold him in good favor. And this necessarily then leads to discussions about how it is Lutherans believe a person is saved and drawing distinctions between that confession and the Roman Catholic Church, which is primarily who the Apology of the Augsburg Confession is directed against, uh, all right, so we are back after some technical difficulties. Thank you there to the folks there at uh, KFUO who handle all these technical things and uh, get us back on the air when we need to when we're broadcasting from such a distance and so forth. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, as we're talking about, hopefully before I disconnected, uh, I'm not quite sure exactly what we were talking about then, but we were talking about this Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, how it is a man is saved. We're going to do some comparisons between Lutherans and Roman Catholics. And in particular, this section is a lot of scripture. Uh, we're going to go through a lot of passages of the Bible. And then I asked uh, Pastor Hinton, you know, why is it that, that Lutherans are going to spend so much time going through the scriptures here? Okay, so uh, as, as I was saying before, uh, before I went to the seminary, I read through the book of Concord because, of course, at the end of the seminary time, you know, you're expected to make a subscription to the entirety of the Book of Concord. Therefore, I better make sure I know what I'm getting myself into. And as I was doing this, I was still a layman, of course. I hadn't yet uh, learned the biblical languages to the extent that I needed to to study at the seminary. Um, and I'm reading through the Book of Concord, and everything sounds great. And then I get to Apology Article 4, um, or the, the, you know, the Apology of, of uh, the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, regarding justification. And that is... There's just no other way to put it. It's a long slog. It is very long and it is very detailed. Um, Philip Melanchthon, the the author of of the Apology and uh, the Augsburg Confession, himself a layman, by the way, and considered probably one of the greatest uh, minds of the, the entirety of the Western world, even recognized as a great mind by those outside the church. For his, you know, clear thinking and and his just his learnedness is is worthy of emulation and. So he, he goes through this article and he's very, very, very careful to make sure that we cover it in its entirety because, first of all, it is the chief article of the church. We confess that justification is, and 
Um, as, as Pastor Shear alluded to, I'm, I'm a headmaster at a classical Lutheran school. So sometimes I break into Latin and just, you know, Pastor Shear, if you would just kick me when I do that, you know, but we, we do say that the, that the, the article on justification is the articulus stantis ocadensis, um, ecclesia. That is, this is the article upon which the church stands or falls. If the church retains this teaching and keeps it purely, the church endures. And if the church were ever to lose this, and by the way, Jesus promises the church will never lose this. His holy church will never lose this. Then, then there is no more church. And so for that reason, this is the central thing. If This is not anything that we can get wrong. So we want to make sure that we articulate this clearly. But it's also the chief point of, of contention between the evangelicals, what we would today call the Lutherans, and and the Catholics. That is how a man is saved. And of course... Think about it from your own perspective. This is not ivory tower sort of disconnected, um, just abstract thinking here. This is about your future. This is about your present. Who are you? Whose are you? How? What does God think of me? How, how can I be sure of that? Without the answers to those questions, all the other ones seem pretty small in comparison. And in fact, they would be. What does God think of you? Well, he's pleased with you provided that you are one who believes. Why? Because Christ has died for you, Christ has redeemed you, and you receive this by faith and by faith alone. You're not going to add to Christ's sacrifice for you and therefore somehow merit more of your own justification. You can't do that, and you couldn't if you tried. So this is not just some kind of like disconnected sort of theoretical thing. This is about you. Who are you? What, what does God think of you? And so we go through this carefully, and then we come to this section, and it's, it's wonderful, and it's so necessary. Because if we do confess what we do confess in the Nicene Creed, that there is one holy Catholic or Christian apostolic church, the only way that this could be true is if what we claim is true can be proven from the Scripture. And, and that's exactly what Melanchthon is doing. He's saying, look, guys, look, Rome. What we teach is exactly what the Bible teaches and nothing else. You guys are the innovators by adding works into this mix because Paul never taught it, John never taught it, Jesus never taught it. You guys are the innovators, not us. Excellent. And 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 what we're going to see here is a draw in that Melanchthon is going to spend a lot of time talking about Scripture and in particular going to certain proof texts or little passages of Scripture that he's going to use to prove certain points. And in this section, he's proving the point that Scripture teaches faith without works is for salvation. Elsewhere in places, Scripture will talk about works, and it will have proper instruction as to you know the Christian's life and having works and so forth. But when it regards to salvation, works are excluded. And we're going to have a couple verses in a little bit about exactly that, that they are excluded from salvation. And this is over and against the Roman Catholic teaching of the time, and still currently, that faith is not just what saves, that, that faith has to be perfected by acts of love or works of love. And so you have all of this emphasis upon the works. And then leading to this just absolute monster of uncertainty that is, when do I know if I've worked enough? How, how do I know if my love's been perfect enough? Uh, all the doubts and, and, and horrors of conscience that can happen when that takes place. So here you have something, you know, this is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation years. A lot of Lutherans are celebrating, um, uh, Protestants as well, but they're usually getting the story of Luther wrong and, and they just try to borrow from him whenever they feel like it. They don't actually have his theology anymore, but Lutherans do. And so we have this idea of sola scriptura, uh, that there's some Latin, even though I'm not a Latin teacher. Uh, but uh, Scripture alone, that, that as Lutherans, we take our doctrine from Scripture alone. Now, what's interesting, of course, is we, we're, we're talking about the Book of Concord, and many people would accuse Lutherans as, well, you're not just Scripture alone. See, you've got that big book called the Book of Concord, and that's what you're using, that small catechism and stuff. You know, that's, that's man's stuff. Well, no, because all of those things, the small catechism, the Book of Concord, they're just saying what Scripture says. And in fact, in this section, we're going to see that, you know, they're just restating Scripture. And so uh, this is what it's about, that, that Scripture for a Lutheran is the sole source and norm of our doctrine, that what we believe has to be rooted and grounded in Scripture. Um, that's for our certainty's sake, 
Uh, but it's also, that's the truth. And so we want to go to the truth in order to uh, believe the truth. Uh, Roman Catholic teaching, on the other hand, you have scripture, but you also have tradition. And the two are supposed to be kind of locked arm in arm, walking together, supposedly. Uh, but the problem is, is that tradition ends up actually uh, walking ahead of scripture because tr tradition will determine what scripture actually teaches. And that's, of course, what Roman popes and councils and various other things have taught. And so that becomes really the driving force, is tradition for the Roman Catholic. And so here against that, the Lutherans confess scripture. Now what's interesting is after this section, Melanchthon will actually also go into a long section about, well, okay, you want to talk about the history of the church? Well, here's some early church fathers and what they believed about justification too. And so he'll show from history, from tradition, that the actual belief about justification by faith is historical, it is traditional, uh, but it's, of course, first and foremost, scriptural. And that's, of course, what we're going to get into now. So, um, when we when we get into this, uh, we start in paragraph 91 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession. We start out with Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This means we have consciences that are peaceful and joyful before God. All right. Beautiful verse here, starting out Romans chapter 5, great chapter in the book of Romans. And we have this, you know, this matter of fact, you know, since we have been justified by faith. Of course, pointing out not faith plus works, not faith perfected by love, faith. Okay, but then the result of that, we have peace with God. And of course, this is not just the whole like, uh, you know, emotional peace that we're talking about here, but this is actually peace established with God by Christ, by his sacrifice. And it's, it's peace that then has has an effect upon our consciences. That is the, the thing inside of us that kind of hounds us or or, 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 or gains us stability. Uh, this, this conscience will either accuse us or it'll praise us. You know, it'll tell us right from wrong based upon a certain set of information. Could be from scripture, could be from cultural norms, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but the conscience, you know, that's at peace with God, can be peaceful and joyful before God. Uh, that is, resting securely. So we have this here, but, you know, this is an interesting thing, and we talked a little bit about this in the, in the show prep today. Uh, Pastor Hinton, this idea of taking one passage from Scripture, uh, we call that proof texting. Many who are listening know this from opening up your small catechism and, and you see the explanation to the small catechism, you know, those extra 200 and so pages that are added on where you have question and then you have answer and then you have scripture proof text after proof text after proof text. Um, what, why do we proof text, Pastor Hinton, and what's the good value in this? And maybe what are some cautions against it? Okay, so sometimes it's it, it's become fashionable to kind of... Um you know, poo-poo the role of, of proof texting. But the fact of the matter is, this is how scripture has been used for a very long time by men far wiser than any of us are. I mean, for that reason alone, that would be good. I mean, Jesus even does this too. In Matthew 19, he, he quotes the Old Testament simply at a verse, you know, a, a man shall leave his father and mother and uh, shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. He doesn't go through the entire narrative, but uses a single poignant passage because the Holy Spirit, of course, uh, has inspired all of Scripture, and, and uh, St. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is useful um, for, among other things, for, for teaching, for doctrine. And, and for that reason, I mean, every, every, every letter of Scripture, of course, is breathed by the Holy Spirit and is useful for teaching. For that reason, where the church has identified certain verses that are particularly clear or dare we even use this word beautiful within the simplicity of, of, a, of a beautifully put succinct sentence, the church will, will oftentimes really especially grab onto those verses and hold them close. For example, when we talk about baptism, Matthew 28, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. I've commanded you. Whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, Mark 16, 16. We teach these things to our children. Why? One, 
it's a lot easier to teach them Matthew 28, Mark 16, than it is the entirety of John chapter 3, you know, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And they eventually come to the point of of, of discussing, you know, the necessity of entering the kingdom by, by means of water and the word. But but these these certain passages that are particularly clear and concise and, and just really enter into the mind through their beauty and simplicity are useful for this very point. Because in here you can see, and, and, and Melanchthon is almost kind of in rapid fire mode. He's just going one after another after another. Um, he's in Romans, of course, and Romans is a great treatise uh, regarding faith. I mean, the entirety of Romans 4, for example, is is this extended discourse on Abraham and how he receives the promise. Abraham, of course, is the heir of or the recipient of this wonderful promise. And and Paul is clear to to tell us that the promise did not come by the law. It was never do these things, Abraham, and then you'll receive the promise. It was always a one-sided deal. Abraham, you're going to receive these things. Not because Abraham was necessarily in himself greater than anybody else. But because this was this is God's character, his his generous and loving nature, and it comes to, to Abraham ultimately through faith. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And so, we've got this extended discourse in Romans four, but then in paragraph ninety one, Melanchthon simply cites um, Romans five one, which is kind of just coming off of this. I mean, these these chapter you know divisions, of course, were added centuries later that the chapters came about what five centuries later and the the verses came maybe 15 centuries after the writing of the of, of the new testament but but this this first verse of romans chapter 5 follows right on the heels of that extended discourse in romans 4 about abraham receiving the promise through faith and paul is just constantly hammering this over and over and over again it's by faith it's by faith it's by faith it's by faith to the point where you could almost if you didn't know that the Bible was was uh, inspired by the Holy Ghost, you can almost accuse him of, of of really being you know over the top with overemphasizing this. It's almost like Saint Paul somehow divinely knew that this was going to be a contested point later on in the church, or maybe even in his own day. For example, like with the Judaizers, so he, he is leaving no wiggle room whatsoever. Saint Paul is, and so he says succinctly here in in, in verse. Uh, one of chapter five in, in his epistle to the Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, there's that two word phrase that we Lutherans just glom onto and we don't let it go. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Melanchthon uses this verse to, to defend our teaching of justification by faith alone. There's no asterisk here. There's no fine print. There's no your mileage may vary. There's no by faith and anything. There's no faith plus anything. It's by faith, full stop. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Excellent. <clears throat> and and the danger that can happen when we proof text is obviously, you explained it very well, the context of Romans 5.1 is building off of Romans chapter 4 where the discussion is about Abraham and righteousness of faith. Now, the problem that can happen is, of course, uh, if you can be in a, a discussion about baptism with somebody and they can say, oh, well, I only believe in adults or, or believers' baptism. And I, and the reason I say that is because, well, Peter says at Pentecost, you know, repent and be baptized, each one of you, uh, for the forgiveness of your sins. And I don't believe that children can repent. Um, what they, what they of course have done is they've proof texted, but this is an example of a bad proof text because the very next verse in context says, this promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off. So the idea there is, is it, <laughs> Peter is, is actually saying that no, your children, even your littlest ones can repent, uh, that they should be baptized, uh, pointed out over and over again in the book of Acts by households being baptized and everything else. But there's an example of a bad proof text. This is the danger that we have when when uh, when folks are just throwing Bible verses out there. I mean, this is kind of what the devil tries to do to Jesus in this temptation in Matthew chapter 4. So we have to be on guard against these texts, but we also have to make sure uh, that these come from a context that, that is correct. And here we do have that. Uh, with Romans 5.1. So we've got a couple minutes before a break, so let's cover the next paragraph here, paragraph 92, which is just Romans chapter 10, verse 10. 
Romans 10.10 says, uh, With the heart one believes and is justified. Here he declares that faith is the righteousness of the heart. And so here's the the use of the word heart for kind of that mind, will, emotions type of belief and so forth. Uh, And and again, with the heart one believes and is justified. Uh, Again, you're not talking with the heart one believes and does. One believes and loves, one believes and works. No, there's no and. It's just believes, the only thing after the and is justification. That that's what happens when, a, when someone trusts, believes in Christ. And so this is what we're confessing over and against the Roman Catholic errors that had crept into the church over time and that the Reformation, God was working to bring them about. Now, you mentioned it earlier, I'll just mention it again. You know, inspiration, we confess that. One of the beautiful aspects of inspiration is the Holy Spirit worked through men to write these very words. Guess what? It also means the Holy Spirit knew all of church history to come. And so he gave everything we needed for all these discussions and debates about articles of the faith and doctrine and so forth right in the scriptures. And so you see that here. Melanchthon is mining what the Holy Spirit put into the ground. You know, he's, he's pulling it out against the errors that had crept into the church. The same thing happened in the 300s and 400s in regards to the divinity of Jesus, the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, the two natures of Christ. All these things were mined back out of scriptures. You know, maybe they didn't exactly know uh, you know, why John 1 was, was saying what it said in 90 AD. But by 300, they knew, and they and the Holy Spirit had given them that treasure to use. And so here we see this treasure comes out now. And now we have this treasure even today, so that when we are confronted with those who would say, you know what, uh, there's got to be some works involved. No. Scripture over and over again talks about the righteousness that comes to you when you believe in Jesus. Uh, the righteousness of faith in Christ. And so this is just a wonderful blessing to us as Christians, and uh, we're going through the scriptures and so forth here uh, as we're going through it. Um, All right, so paragraph 93, we have Galatians. So we switched books of the Bible. We switched from Romans to Galatians, and we have, we have also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. All right, so here we have Paul again confessing this great truth. We also have believed in Christ Jesus. What? In order that. That's a, I can guess that the Greek word, I bet I know which one it is. It's hina, you know. Uh, in order that we'd be justified by faith. Now, um, he does something here that's beautiful, and this is sometimes a technical language, uh, but it's mentioned that, you know, not by works of the law, which is what we call in theology an exclusive particle. And so after the break, we'll get back to talking about these exclusive particles. They exclude something. And so uh, you're listening to Concord Matters on KFUAM Radio. We're talking about justification by faith. We'll be back right after the break. Concordia University, Wisconsin, and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Hi, this is Rich Robertson, President and CEO of the Lutheran Church Extension Fund. Are you a rostered church worker with the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod? As a financial partner with the LCMS, we understand your unique calling and desire to stay focused on ministry, which is why you can look to us as a faithful partner when it comes to your financial needs. Our borrowing solutions allow rostered church workers and ministries to expand their spiritual work now and in the future. Learn more at www.lcef.org. Yes, indeed. The next Law and Gospel is an Insight Wednesday where we will be taking a look at a piece of theology that might be very interesting to you. Tune us in and ask your friends to listen also because they'll be able to email me with any questions they might have on the subject. Weekday mornings beginning at 930 on KFUO. 
Worldwide KFUO is faithful to the Holy Scriptures. Our talk programs, music programs, and worship services focus on the message of salvation through Christ. Generations of families have confidence in KFUO to proclaim a clear, unwavering message of Christ crucified for sins. Faithful, scriptural, Lutheran. We are Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. You could say the Bishop's Bible of 1568 was a rough draft for the King James Bible of 1611. But the Bishop's Bible itself was a response to a popular but controversial Bible, the Geneva Bible, produced by Protestants living in Geneva. When Queen Elizabeth took the throne, she and church officials were concerned about the controversial marginal notes that seemed to challenge the authority of the church and the monarchy. As a result, the Church of England published the Bishop's Bible in 1568, a Bible meant to update the authorized Great Bible of 1539, described for its unusual size as a pulpit Bible. The Bishop's Bible became the second authorized Bible in the Church of England. Making way for the King James Bible of 1611, still in great demand today. Engage with the Bible, with this book of all books. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Back to Concord Matters here on KFU AM Radio, the messenger of the good news. We are talking the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, justification by faith in Christ alone. We are in paragraph 93. We just read that verse before the break, and I left off talking a little bit about something called exclusive particles. And this is something that Melanchthon develops uh, or, or kind of uses, and then uh, one of his students, Martin Chemnitz, uh, really takes to task and, and uses really well in his explanation in defending the Lutheran faith against the Roman Catholic Council of Trent. So you'll see here, you have this verse in Galatians 2.16, we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. This phrase, not by works of the law, is what we're talking about. That St. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, makes sure to exclude works. So, so, Pastor Hinton, why don't you talk a little bit about this? I mean, because, I mean, isn't this the charge always that Lutherans, uh, you know, uh, we, we insert this alone, this faith alone business? Oh, yeah, man, it's, it's ridiculous because you, you, you get into some like Catholic apologists and, and when they, when they light into the Lutherans, eventually they, they'll, they'll go to the person of Luther, right? And they'll try to disprove Lutheranism by the person of Luther, which, of course, is ridiculous because our faith is not predicated on the person Martin Luther, who was a man, a sinner, fallible, and so forth. But but what they will charge him with is, well, you people, you Lutherans, you say you're sola scriptura, scripture alone. You know, you claim that your only authority is, and it's always a matter of authority with those folks, but... Your only authority is scripture, you say, but then your Luther, he added the word alone to the Bible, right? Because when, you know, Luther translates the New Testament and he adds the word alone uh, at, at a point. But the thing is, the fact that faith is, uh, the, the, that salvation is by faith alone is made so manifestly clear that it, it, it boggles the mind how one could come up with some other interpretation apart from just the influence of, of the father of lies, Satan himself. Look at verse 16 in Galatians chapter 2. Well, we'll back it up to, to verse 15 because that starts the sentence. St. Paul writes, and this is the English Standard Version, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It's like he's trying to teach a very bright Irish setter, because he could, he's, he's, he's being so blunt with this phrase, by works of the law, he uses it three times in verse 16 and always in the negative. You know, not justified by works of the law, 
not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You cannot come away from Galatians 2.16 with any other conclusion unless you're being influenced by the devil. Because St. Paul is so clear, but he sandwiches it. He teaches that salvation is by faith in Christ, but he says before and after and again after, but not by works of the law. He sets the two apart. In other words, he's he's making what we call in in uh, in in classical logic um, a dialectic, which is to say it's not this but that. It's not by works of the law, but it is by faith, and he's setting this up in such a way that that it, it's manifestly clear. Excellent. And we move on to paragraph, uh, well, the second half, paragraph 93, which is uh, the old quote of Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So again, here you have twice, not your own doing, not a result of works. Again, Melanchthon is just quoting the scriptures here, showing that the Lutheran doctrine of justification, that is how man is saved by faith in Christ alone, is what the scriptures say, and that the Roman Catholic innovation of faith plus works is not scriptural. Faith perfected in love is not scriptural. Um, these are verses that the Roman Catholics would have to try to deal with, and the only way they can deal with it is through sophistry, that is kind of coming up with all kinds of weird mental gymnastics to get around these verses, because it's very plain, not by works, not by way of the works. Uh, 94. Here we shift gears away from Paul, but we're going to now learn the doctrine of justification by faith alone from others in the scriptures, and this is important as well. So John chapter 1, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, so here again, what happens? To receive Christ, you believe in his name. That is, who he is, what he has done, his person and his work. Then he gives the right. He gives it. Gift language, again, going back to Ephesians 2. Gift of God, right? And then, he, then, then John, not of blood, so not because of your genealogy, nor of the will of the flesh, so, so not because you're just really striving hard to do it, and not because of the will of man. So he's excluding all these things away from salvation by faith in Christ. Then he gives the credit to who? But of God. That again, this birth, this is again what, Je what Jesus will teach Nicodemus in John chapter 3. This happens of God. God's doing the work, not man. Uh, over and over again. Scripture confesses this and so forth. Pastor, do you want to add anything to this verse? Well, John is John is here in this verse writing in a very specifically Jewish way because he's, he's trying to tell his fellow Jews, look, you people are going to have three temptations to believe that by some obedience of your own or through something that's not grace, something that's not faith, you're going to receive the favor and salvation of God. And he, and he eliminates all three as possibilities. This is not of blood, that is not of, not of genealogy, not of descent, not of the will of the flesh, that is circumcision, not the will of man, which is obedience to Torah, you know, God's law. You're not going to be saved by the will of man. You're not born of the will of man. In fact, to use the term of birth and to use the term of, of the one being born having some will in the matter is ridiculous. And that's kind of the, the, the thing that Nicodemus is trying to do with Jesus later on in chapter three, you know, what shall I, shall I crawl back into my mother to be born a second time or something like this? I mean, that we didn't, we didn't cause our first birth. We don't cause our second birth either. And, and he's telling his Jew, his Jewish readers, you're going to be tempted to think that by genealogy, by circumcision or by obedience to the law, you're going to be saved. And I, and I'm telling you, and Jesus is later going to tell you, no, none of those is true. Excellent. And then we get on to, uh, right after the Nicodemus thing, we have the next verse. Uh, Jesus from John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15 says here in paragraph 95, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus himself here is teaching uh, justification by faith, 
belief. And that, of course, brings eternal life. So they're uh, beautiful text. By the way, this is wonderful that we're learning this from John because this counters all of this kind of talk in the last decade or 15 so 15 or so years about this quote-unquote new perspective on Paul, that this idea of justification is, is simply just a Pauline construct and, and so forth. And, of course, here we see it quoted in our confessions about, well, here's the Gospel of John teaching the same thing. So this is not just some Pauline thing. In fact, this is this new perspective stuff is nothing more than just a bunch of academics getting together in a room and coming up with new reasons for new PhDs. So guess what? We'll jettison that because Scripture teaches it all over the place that justification happens by faith in Christ. So you have here Moses lifting up the serpent. Just as a side note on that, Luther makes this beautiful point when he talks about these verses. He says, you know, the Jews who were bitten by these snakes would be saved by looking at the, at the bronze snake up on the pole. By the way, you'll see this in your, uh, all the medical symbols still have this kind of imagery of the snake on a pole. Uh, take note of that as you look around in our secular culture. who doesn't really know what they're doing anymore. Um, but then, so just as the Israelites were saved by looking at their very enemy, so also the Christian is saved by trusting in the crucified Christ, that by looking at the Christ who's lifted up, that is dying, who's taking on death, uh, you are rescued from death. And so uh, just kind of that beautiful imagery that Luther can often do. Paragraph 96, we continue with John 3. Of course, we, we, we skip one verse, which everyone knows. Uh, we skip John 3.16, actually. Now we move into 3.17 and 18. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So, Pastor Hinton, you want to just describe this verse? And maybe, I mean, John 3.16 certainly wouldn't teach anything contrary to this verse at all. No, if anything, the reason you wouldn't include John 3.16 in this is simply because it's a repetition of what comes exactly before and exactly after. John's doing a lot of what, what Paul is, is doing in, in, um, in Romans and also in Galatians, which is to repeat over and over again. Look at verse 15. Whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Verse 16. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Again, this, this repetition of, just in case you didn't get it the first two times I told you, whoever believes in the Son of Man, and, and we know that the Son of Man is Jesus, whoever believes in the Son of Man has eternal life. There's not an, again, there's not an asterisk, there's not fine print, there's not your mileage may vary, there's not a whoever believes in him and also does some other stuff, not even a little bit. It's simply whoever believes in him may have eternal life, repeated again and again all through chapter 3, so that there's no mistaking this. And, and I mean, you're right, this comes from more than just St. Paul, an appalling construct or some later sort of thing. This comes from... from Paul, yes, and from John, we're going to see it come elsewhere in the scriptures as well, that this is the unified testimony of the entire scripture, that scripture consistently speaks this way from the beginning to the end, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and not by works. Yeah, exactly. And so moving on to another witness to this fact is, is paragraph 97, which talks of Acts chapter 13, 38-39 here. Uh, here you have Luke's words uh, from, the, from the book of Acts. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Again, emphasizing belief, the one who believes, everyone who believes, is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law. So it not only confesses belief as salvation goes, but then it confesses, you know, you could not be freed by the law. You could not be saved by the law of Moses. Um, over and over again. I mean, this is John chapter 6 reemphasizes re this over and over again. Jesus talks to those folks. Here we have Luke teaching it uh, in, the, in the preaching that goes on in Acts chapter 13. So, And then it goes on to paragraph 97 with more of the confessions words. How could the office of Christ and justification be declared more clearly? Paul says that the law does not justify. Therefore, Christ was given that we may believe that for his sake we are justified. He plainly denies justification by the law. So for Christ's sake, we are accounted righteous when we believe that God, for his sake, has been reconciled to us. Here Melanchthon takes a moment to just kind of almost restate Augsburg 4. 
that uh, this is, you know, Christ's sake, we are accounted righteous when we believe that God, for his sake, has been reconciled to us. Um, there's no way you can come from these verses and say, oh, well, works still play a part. There's just no way this is happening. All right, let's move on to paragraph 98 here. Um, and we're going to try to cover this one. This is, you know, Luke's words, but he's quoting Peter here. So again, you have another witness to this truth of uh, justification. So uh, here's Peter. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among which or among men by which we must be saved. And the confessions go on. Christ's name is received only by faith. Therefore, we are saved by confidence in Christ's name and not by confidence in our works. For, quote-unquote, the name here means the cause that is mentioned, because of which salvation is gained. To call upon Christ's name is to trust in his name as the cause or price because of which we are saved. All right, Pastor Hinton, if you want to give some commentary on this again, I, we're kind of saying the same things over and over again, just as Melanchthon is in the Confessions here, trying to state the case over and over again to just show just how absurd the argument about works is. Yes, and so goes Apology, Article 4. That is that is the Apology, Article 4. It is the saying the same thing over and over again. Why? Because Scripture says the same thing over again and over again. The Apology is doing exactly the same thing that the Holy Scriptures do, which is to take this point, which is manifestly clear in Scripture, repeated frequently, and just doing the same thing, stating it clearly, repeating it frequently, giving some brief commentary on some of these shorter verses. Uh, for example, in paragraph 97, um, you know, Melanchthon talks about the the proposed way of salvation, which would be by the law, and he slams the door to that way and says no. He because you know Melanchthon points out that Paul he Paul plainly denies justification by the law. It's not like it's not been considered. It's not like nobody ever thought of this. It's not like well, did you ever consider that maybe justification is by the law? Yeah, Paul does consider that. And he utterly slams the door on that possibility. It is not a possibility that justification could be by the law. And and so in, in so many ways, as, as many ways as Scripture says it, and by the way, this is not even a comprehensive list of, of every time the Scriptures touch on justification. For every, for every verse here, who knows how many more verses that Melanchthon or any of us could have cited. These are simply the, the most poignant, clear passages. You have the, the passage here in Acts chapter 4. This is Peter and John are before the council. And and Peter is is preaching this. And and he you know, this stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the this this is Jesus. He's now the cornerstone. And there is no there's salvation in no one else, no other way. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now this is a fascinating statement because he doesn't say there's no other list of stuff you got to do by which we are saved. He doesn't say that. There's no other law under which we must be saved. He doesn't say that either. He says there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We're saved by the name of this Jesus who is the cornerstone. And at, at this point, one has to wonder again, apart from the influence of Satan and the demons, you know, the father of lies and, and his minions, how one could come away from Scripture with, with any other possible explanation. Don't know. Other than the sinful nature uh, and, and the demons and, and the devil and so forth and what they like to do with God's Word. Paragraph 99, Acts, 15, or Acts chapter 15, verse 9 says, Cleanse their hearts by faith. Therefore, the faith that the apostles speak about is not useless knowledge but a reality. It receives the Holy Spirit and justifies us. So, so this is against the idea that, oh, well, you know, faith is whatever. It's, it's just useless, you know, whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Uh, it's not relevant. But here the confessions and the scriptures clearly say, no, you cleanse their hearts by faith. So this is a reality. This is something that actually does something. 
and here we have uh, we have you know the effect of justification it actually does something to us um it receives the holy spirit and justifies us so this faith is not some inactive uh just pie in the sky thing but it actually has a reality to it it actually has a relevance just in its own of course you know the world won't believe this but the world doesn't have the holy spirit so don't expect the world to believe this um same thing goes with those who are, have, have fallen for the world's theology that is the theology of works they won't believe this they need to hear law and gospel in order that they would this is why paul's saying what he says this is why luke's writing what he's writing this is why peter's preaching what he's preaching this is why jesus is teaching what he's teaching law and gospel and we're going to get to that in just a moment paragraph 100 here we see a bridge and it's a beautiful bridge we saw one earlier that we didn't just stick on paul we moved back to john and then we moved back to luke and we've added peter's words in here now guess what we're going to add the old testament's words so this is not just some oh well the old testament's by works and the new testament's by grace no, totally wrong. It's always been salvation by faith in Christ. So Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4 says, The righteous shall live by his faith. Here he says first that people are just by faith. By faith they believe that God is favorable. And he adds that the same faith gives life because this faith produces peace and joy in the heart and eternal life. So again, going after this notion of faith being kind of nothingness or just some kind of assent to certain knowledge or something like that but this is faith that actually does something so so what's the value in this pastor hinton okay i've i've got to i've got to um do something here because um again as as a as a classical educator we we always try to operate by consistent definitions of terms and that's always important in theology throughout this discussion uh, pastor shear and i have been using this this technical theological jargon this specific word of, of, a, of theology that has a very distinct meaning, and it's, it would be good for us to define this, and that word is faith. I didn't say it was a long word, but it, but it is a technical theological word that has a very precise meaning. And, and Melanchthon here kind of gets to this uh, beginning in, in 99 as a bridge to, to uh, paragraph 100. He says, the faith that the apostles speak about is not useless knowledge but a reality. When you talk to, to maybe even some of your, your Protestant or evangelical friends about what faith is, and they'll say things like, you know, faith is believing in God. And then you ask them what they mean, and oftentimes you'll get a response. And sometimes Lutherans might talk about this too, who haven't really examined what faith is. They'll say, it means that I believe that God is real. And, and when you, when you start fleshing it out, you start thinking that maybe faith is something like an opinion. Um, that, that, you know, I'm, I've just, I have this, this thought, this theory that God is real. But in fact, this faith is a trust. This faith is a knowledge of God's goodness toward you. It's not merely a knowledge that God is real. It's, it is a, a deeper, more heart knowledge than head knowledge, even though they're, they're both together united, of course that it's it's not a mere factoid or, or piece of trivia, but in fact is the reality that God is for you and you trust that he is for you. That's what faith is. And and this lovely bridge here to, to paragraph 100 is in Acts 15, um, Peter is making the case that salvation is available equally to the Jews and to the Gentiles. How? By faith. That does, you know, circumcision distinguishes the Jews and the Gentiles, um, the the Torah, you know, the the, the law of God might have uh, separated them, and um, and also your genealogy, your your ancestry, divides Jew and Gentile. But salvation is available to both Jew and Gentile by faith. Here's the bridge to Habakkuk then, because in the, even in the Old Testament, the righteous shall live by his faith. Excellent. And to make that point, then Melanchthon quotes the next paragraph, paragraph 101. Isaiah 53, 11 says, By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. What is Christ's knowledge unless it means to know Christ's benefits, the promises he has scattered throughout the world by his gospel, by the gospel? To know these benefits is properly and truly to believe in Christ, to believe that he will certainly fulfill what God has promised for Christ's sake. You use the, the knowledge and trust aspect here. Now we've had this, this trust aspect emphasized over and over again, but now we also emphasize this, this knowledge. But it's knowledge of what? It's not just facts. It's knowledge of what the promises are, what the benefits are put before you, something to trust in. 
You know, God is gracious to me. How do I know? Because he said so. He's shown so in Christ. He's done all these things for me through the gospel. And so he shows me these benefits. Um, and so to know these benefits is to properly and truly believe in Christ, that you know eternal life is yours because Christ has promised. His word says so, and I trust in that, no matter what my circumstance or situation is doing. Finally, in paragraph 102, Scripture is full of such testimonies, for in some places it presents the law, and in others it presents the promises about Christ, forgiveness of sins, and free acceptance of the sinner for Christ's sake. Law and gospel, people. This is what the listeners all need to hear over and over again. Law and gospel, law and gospel, law and gospel. There is no other paradigm. This is the only faithful one. This is the one that Scripture lays out over and over again. Law, gospel, this is what makes Scripture clear. When it's unclear, you're often confusing the two. These are a great blessing to you. This is the kind of stuff you're going to hear at a Lutheran church. This is hopefully the kind of stuff you're going to hear from Lutherans as they confess their faith in the marketplace and everywhere else in this world. This is the kind of message that you need to hear in your churches. So if you are a part of a church that doesn't confess this stuff, get out! You don't need the religion of works. You need to hear the gospel, the promises of Christ forgiveness of sins, and free acceptance of the sinner for Christ's sake. You've been listening to Concord Matters here on KFUO AM Radio. I'd like to thank Pastor Hinton for being the solo guest with me today and kind of having to manage things as we didn't necessarily plan to, but it worked out. So hopefully you've heard the confession of the gospel of Christ Jesus, how it is we're saved, justified by faith in Christ. Join us again next week. The Lord bless you. <laughs>